Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk. I don't know if I've ever had that happen. I opened my mouth for expecting something to come out, and nothing came out. It sounded like you were underwater. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online, supertalk.fm. I just got through eating a chocolate chip cookie, and uh, maybe that, I don't know. I'm eating tiramisu. Oh, uh, man. Uh, good afternoon, Wednesday. Glad to have you along. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey, thanks for joining us. Thanks for making Sports Talk Mississippi part of your afternoon. Ceasefire text lines open, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. Uh, good to have you along. Hoops last night, Mississippi State goes to Gainesville. They are down big early. Make a furious comeback and get a win. Different story in Oxford. Ole Miss up big early. Furious comeback from Auburn. Double overtime. Late night basketball at the Pavilion. And Auburn walks away with a win. Talked yesterday about the fact that the Rebels had won 12 out of the previous 14 in that series. Wednesday afternoon. What's up, guys? How are you, Borky? Uh, doing well, and also here's my, I think, third annual uh, obvious solutions to fix the bad product that is college basketball ramp. Okay. So Ole Miss and Auburn played a double overtime game last night. You'd think that would be really fun and enjoyable to watch. It was the exact opposite. It was awful. And college basketball in general is not a great product. The guys aren't – they don't shoot very well, and the expanded three-point line and the introduction of analytics show that three-point shot's better than – a contested two, and so guys jack up a bunch of threes, and they can't actually make them. However, easy fix to college basketball, and it's obvious and glaring to everybody with a brain, but apparently the powers that be can't fix it. Uh, Get rid of halves and go to quarters. No more 16-minute double bonus. Uh, Also, make the foul-out number six instead of five, and then when games go to overtime, reset the fouls, because 49 fouls and 68 free throws is not enjoyable basketball it was close it was double overtime you had some sloppy play and stuff but that should have been fun and the fact that there was a whistle every 45 seconds of gameplay and 68 free throws taken is absurd anytime there's a whistle blown it should not be two shots for 20 minutes of basketball It was awful to watch. That's not why Ole Miss lost. Don't get that twisted. But the game itself, double overtime, SEC basketball, should have been good theater, and it wasn't because the game had... I mean, it was hard to watch because it was constant free throw shooting and constant whistles. Adjust the quarters, get rid of the double bonus, or make it harder to get to it. Don't let it spill over into overtime and expand the foul-out number from 5 to 6. Boom. College basketball is fixed. You're welcome. 
Rippy, your podcast partner came uh, came loaded today. Pretty passionate. I, I went to bed late. That's all I'm concerned with. I I just want to like college basketball, but that kind of stuff it's hard. And it's the only level in which there's not quarters, which also doesn't make sense. But my goodness, man, every trip down the floor led to a whistle and two free throws. That's not fun. Hey, Dad, what's up? I don't have the same kind of vigor uh, about anything today that Michael Borky has about that argument. I appreciate the passion. Uh, Borky, I think the one area that I disagree with you, I would reset or I would not reset fouls going into overtime. Um, I think you carry over your fouls fourth quarter to overtime. Um, or at least set it back to a one-and-one one or something. Well, you know, in the women's game, they've gone to quarters, and there is no one-and-one. One. Once you hit, right. so, so the fifth foul results in two shots, and it's all two-shot fouls after that. Fine with that. Uh, that works. Yeah. Uh, I, I agree that I think the men's game should go to um, go to quarters as opposed to halves. Um, and fouls reset at the end of every quarter. I don't think I would reset them to overtime. I don't know. If you wanted to maybe set it at two in overtime or something like that, I, I would be okay with that. Um, and that's just me. So, Yeah, it was it was kind of hard to watch last night. It, it really was. Um, talking about the, the Ole Miss game, it, it lasts a long time. And... But listen, I, I hear you on all the free throws. I think it was hard to watch, though, because the teams played so poorly. Well, that too. But that's just inherent college. Like, you're just going to get that in college basketball. Yeah. We'll talk more in depth about that game. Hey, Dad, Mississippi State going to Gainesville last night. We talked about it yesterday. Needed a win. Um, not in the terms of like they were desperate for a win, but when you start looking long range, at the opportunity to get to the NCAA tournament, you, you need some quality wins. And Mississippi State picks up a quadrant one win uh, on the road and really impressive night by Reggie Perry, who had a career high. Yeah, it, it wasn't desperate probably not the right word, like you said, but needy. They needed a, a good win, and now they have one on the uh, the resume. And it, you know, It started out like it was just going to be another one of those games for Mississippi State. Down 16 in the first uh, first half. But what an incredible second half by them. Reggie Perry, 27 points, uh, eight rebounds. Big night for uh, for Nick Weatherspoon. He had another good game. Robert Woodard had a lot of key plays in this game. So they got a lot of, of good contributions, and uh, it turned into a, a much-needed win. Uh, let's see, 41. So they jumped seven spots in the um, in the net rankings from 48 to 41. You said something. you got to take me a little deeper on this. I admittedly did not watch the entire game. Mm-hmm. You said Nick Weatherspoon played pretty well. Yeah. Did he? Well, yeah. He had, what, uh, 13 points, four rebounds, eight assists, and only one turnover? Yeah, but it's a pretty a solid of, game. No, I, I know it is, but I feel like I need him to make some smarter plays in crunch time. Yeah, the, the, uh, the blown layup in transition, it was the second time that he had done that in a fairly short period of the game. Maybe I just I, I, happened to I just happened to watch in like a I don't know, an eight minute window where yeah. he turned it over, he made a couple of questionable decisions and blew a couple of layups. I think the, those two layups, I mean that's just bad luck more than anything else. You you lay the ball off the glass if it doesn't go in. 
I, I don't think that's anything in, in form or anything like that. Uh, you I mean, more like under said, control. He's so explosive. I mean, that's the thing. Uh, he uh, can get yeah. by anybody. Got to be able to finish. But at the end of the day, eight to one uh, assist turnover. That's, no, that's four good. to a, to a half uh, turnover ratio there. Thank you. Uh, really, really, really good for him. And Tyson Carter, another double-digit night for him. He had some big shots. Woodard, I thought, had really some key plays uh, down the stretch. And he and and I mean, is there a better one-two front court combination in the SEC than those two guys? I mean, when they play at the at their ceiling, they're they're really really good. And you know, Woodard is a guy you keep seeing his name pop up now ahead of Perry on a lot of NBA draft lists. Um, so I mean, chance for the state may only get one more year out of both of them, or the remainder of this season out of both of them. But they played incredibly well last night. How about the efficiency of Robert Woodard? Six of seven, two of two from behind the arc, two of two from the free throw line, four rebounds, three assists. Um, just a, a really good night. Abdullah Du came up with a couple of really nice blocks, three blocks total for him in the game. Uh, mm-hmm. Only Mississippi State's or Mississippi State's only three blocks, but he played thirty minutes and just. Really was pretty effective down low, even though he only yeah. scored six points. But six points, nine boards, and three blocks, that is a stat line that you can absolutely live with from Abdul Adu. 100%. Yeah, I mean, Adu is, is really, really tough defensively, and anything you get from him offensively is just a little bit of gravy. Nine, nine rebounds and three blocks, you're going to take that. I mean, this, this game, State wins by seven. You get seven turnovers out of Reggie Perry. Just one guy, seven turnovers. And if you don't have that, this is a game where State probably could have won a little bit easier. And like you mentioned, those two uh, blown layups right at the rim, and that's four more points. Yeah. What was the – was there a theme in the turnovers for Reggie Perry? So, I mean, you you look at it and you go, okay, seven turnovers. you got to be better than that. But, oh, by the way, you had a career-high 27. Yeah. And efficient shooting the ball and hit three threes and six of seven from the line and eight rebounds, and you had an assist and didn't foul a lot. So there was a lot of good there. Was it just the way that Florida was defending him? A little bit of that, but he had a couple of times where he took some extra steps, a couple of balls that just went off his hands. I mean, he had some he had some bad moments in amongst this this career game for him. Yeah. Mississippi State gets the win to go to thirteen and seven overall, and get to four and three in the SEC. So eleven SEC games remaining. Borky, why don't you roll out the poll question? How confident are you in Mississippi State making the NCAA tournament? One hundred percent. 50-50 or not at all, and I'm about to post it here in a second. All right, you can go to the Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter feed at Sports Talk M-I-S-S and uh, vote in the poll question. How confident are you in Mississippi State making the NCAA tournament? 100%? 50-50? Or not at all? Where do you fall on that, hey, Dad? What, what's between 100% and 50-50? <laughs> It's funny. I was looking for that exact same option. Like, I'm not sure I'm giving say. them a 10 out of 10, but I'm probably going a little better than 5 out of 10. I will add yeah. one more option. Leaning Sports yes. Talk, Mississippi. We'll be right back. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. A couple more thoughts about Florida, Mississippi State from last night. Bulldogs getting the win over the Gators in Gainesville last night. 
Hey, Dan, are you 100% on board with Mississippi State goes as Reggie Perry goes? I would, I would, I would add this sort of condition to it that there are games where he can play well and State will lose. And he can have a game where he gets 17 and 10 and State can still lose that game. It really is more about his supporting cast and what they're getting from Carter, Woodard, and Weatherspoon to me. Saturday, home game in Starkville against Tennessee. And that's a game that could be a little tricky, Mm -hmm. but I think Mississippi State is in good shape going into that game. One, they've been good at home. Mm-hmm. Two, they're more talented than Tennessee. I just can't decide what I think about Tennessee coming off the stinker that they played last night means in terms of this game against Mississippi State. Tennessee yeah, loses I mean, at home last night to Texas A&M, and um, you know, all the conversation after the game, uh, especially from the Tennessee side of things, was they were just tougher than us, and we got beat because they played harder, which is never something you want to say when it's over. And you got Rick Barnes nearly knocking that referee into the stands, for God's sakes. That was vicious. Uh, I'm, hold, yeah, on, I mean, hold on. I'm glad you mentioned that because, Borky, you were kind of talking about ref show earlier, although you were going about it from a different way, just pointing to all of the the, the fouls. The and, structural issue within the sport. But, yeah, I mean, same difference. The structural issue. Yeah, it, the way college basketball is built, men's college basketball is built, Allows for the ref show to be even worse than it would be otherwise. I, th- I think you're onto something right there. I-, I-, I really do. Mike Nance has been a referee in college basketball for a really long time. And at least at one point, probably several years gone by, Mike Nance was a pretty respected official. If you've not seen the video clip, you should search for this from last night. Rick Barnes is standing still, feet about shoulder-width apart, hands on his hips, staring a hole in the general direction of the referees. Mike Nance walks toward him, but kind of to his left side. And Nance initiates contact kind of with his arms, and Rick Barnes never moves a muscle, never flinches, as Nance walks toward him, Nance bumps into him and then turns and looks incredulously at Rick Barnes. And it's hard to read his lips in its in entirety, but it's basically, you touched me, and Rick Barnes loses it. <laughs> I didn't touch you. You walked into me. I didn't move a muscle. It's a pretty damning video. Hey, Dad. I know you were making fun of it a second ago. What in the world? I mean, what am I supposed to be doing here? I, I I expect I expect nothing from the officials, and I am still disappointed. I I don't know what happened there. He he clearly just, and it's not even. It's like if you were walking past me and didn't see me, and I was just trying to get your attention. I just gave you a little jab in the in the chest. That's what he did. He yeah. completely bumped into to Rick Barnes. He initi- initiating the contact's not even the right word. Like initiating kind of means like I just took a step. He puts his arm out to hit him. It's like he gives him a little forearm shiver as he walks by. Yes, yes. So and then turns like, 
You I mean, is me. there a possibility that, that, that Rick Barnes could be suspended? Why, for what he said after the fact? Well, no, I mean, are they going to try to come no, up with no, the idea that he initiated not. contact? Absolutely not. No. 100% no. Okay. And I thought Rick Barnes handled it pretty well because he was asked about it after the game and he said, I trust the league office to do what's right. I'd like to say more, but I can't. I'd like yeah. to say more, but I won't. Do I you trust think the commissioner in the league office? Oh, they may do something behind the scenes, but that's the problem. They're not going to say anything publicly. What, what should and what will be done behind the scenes, or is it the same answer? Oh, it'll just be a little reprimand. It, it should but, be. But here's what should be done. Right? I don't think he'll get a suspension. What would but happen if Rick Barnes they, was they the should, one that did no, that? No, no, one hundred percent. That that that's what I would feel if I got that from the league office. Mike Nance made an error in judgment on Tuesday night in Knoxville. Yeah. In the event that one of our coaches makes contact intentionally with a referee, he is suspended for the following game. It feels only fair that Mike Nance, who from video evidence clearly intentionally made contact with a coach and then tried to turn the situation around on the coach, also will be disciplined in the same way. He will not be allowed to officiate the blank game that he was supposed to officiate on Saturday. You don't even have to tell me which one it was supposed to be, what game he was supposed to be on. His next game. Yeah. His next scheduled game, or his next scheduled SEC game, yeah, he'll, he'll be suspended from. And that's a pretty... I, Significant fine, isn't it? Because they do get paid, you know, a few hundred bucks a game, don't they? If not more. Yeah, I mean, I think veteran officials are, you know, depending on where they're working and how long they've been in the league and whatever. I mean, I think they're in the fifteen to twenty five hundred dollar a game range. Sounds great. We might actually see the SEC publicly reprimand an official. What a glorious day that will be! No, 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 no. You you don't think it'll be public? Absolutely not. <laughs> well, they, they, that's what it needs to happen. That's what I. That's exactly. You're right. That's what I was. So you got to stick with me all the way through. I said that's okay. what I'd like to see happen. It absolutely will not happen. Lame. Yes, he will be reprimanded. I don't think he will be suspended, and it will happen behind closed doors. Well, then, getting back to your original question, then I mean Tennessee is a team that is capable of beating Mississippi State. But like you said, at home, State has been a little bit of a different animal this year. They've played really well. They should be playing with a lot of confidence right now. I like State right this second. So do all the analytics. Um, but State is definitely a Jekyll and Hyde team. The wrong team could show up, and they could lose. Yeah, I just don't see it. I'll be interested to see what Vegas says about that game. My guess going in is Mississippi State's a seven-point favorite. At home. If I told you that right now, would you take Tennessee and lay the seven, or would you uh, take Tennessee getting seven? I think Ken Palm had stayed as a five-point favorite last week. Okay. So if you give me seven, I'd probably take Tennessee. I think State would win, but less by less than seven. Yeah, I disagree. Uh, I like Mississippi State laying seven on Saturday. Now, that's obviously just a number that I threw out there, um, not one that Vegas has thrown out. And we'll have to wait and see. Well, let's go big picture, and then we'll drill down a little bit on Ole Miss. 
Rippy Ole Miss led by 17 at the half. They were up 37 to 20. An early 19 point lead in the second half ends up going to double overtime and Auburn wins. What went so well for Ole Miss in the first half? What went so poorly for Ole Miss in the second half? The first half went about as their game plan scripted to where they forced Auburn to shoot perimeter jump shots. They didn't allow very many straight line drives to the rim, and Austin Wiley was pretty much a non-factor, though he had their only points for about seven minutes there. And so Auburn missed their first 11 three-point attempts, I believe. Their last one came, in, uh, I think, in transition with about 30 seconds left in the half. And it went about as good as planned. I mean, I didn't really understand what Bruce Pearl was doing in terms of not getting the ball to Austin Wiley, but he claimed that uh, C was doing a good job on him, which could be true to some degree. I just thought there was more opportunity there. But that went about as well as possible for Ole Miss. And I didn't even think Ole Miss played that well offensively in the first half. They were okay, like better than they have been at times this year, but still able to get up 17. Auburn shoots 30% from three for the game. But they were 1 of 12 in the first half, which means they went 8 of 18 in the second half. A really good second half three-point percentage. And really it was Anthony McLemore. says Auburn was 2 of 6 in the second half from three. That must include overtime, then. Wait. No, that is not correct. I'm sorry. And I had Auburn pulled up, but Ole Miss's stats. You're correct. Six of 13 in the second half. Okay. Well, and then they had five more three-point attempts in the two overtime periods. Yeah. Sorry. Just. Yeah. But. So, second half and overtime, eight of 18. Yeah. After starting the game, one of 12. And Anthony McLemore, who averages eight per game, was big, big, big last night for the Auburn Tigers. Had a new career high, 19 points. He was the difference for Auburn in the win. Let's drill down on this one a bit when we come back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi. Ole Miss drops a double overtime decision last night to Auburn, 83-82. Rebels were up 17 at the half, 37-20. Auburn outscored Ole Miss, 46-29 in the second half in overtime, 17-16 across the two overtime periods. When you look at the box score, especially for Ole Miss, the thing that, that jumps out at you is the fact that, well, I think two things. One, Brian Tyree who was averaging 24.5 in SEC play coming into the game at eight points. And two, he had five fouls. Fouled out with four and a half minutes to play? Five and a half? 5.15. 5.15 to play in the game. Picks up his fifth foul. Wasn't an egregious foul. Probably one where you'd rather him not try and step in front of a defender. But I didn't think it was, I don't know. You may have agreed with the foul call there. It's. I mean, it's one of those things where he was a half step behind in a crowded lane. Whatever. Sure. Tough way to go out. Wouldn't, was I there guess. another foul call that was not a good call against him? I mean, off the top of my head, I did not remember. I, I was thinking you said that there was... No, last night Buffett almost fouled out in overtime when the foul was on Henson and they went to the monitor. And, That's right. Uh, they went and changed it because it was definitely not on Buffett. Buffett played like 12 minutes... With four fouls last night, I hope uh, 
Hope someone from Guinness was on hand to witness that. I <laughs> 26 points for Devontae Shuler. He saves his best for Auburn. He was in double digits both times against them last, uh, last year. 13 of 18 from the free throw line. Ole Miss is a team hit 24 of 32, 75%. They do that a week ago or a week and a half ago against LSU. They win that game. I, I, you know, whatever. They're pretty good. They've been a pretty good free throw shooting team in conference play. And they were last night. Why did this game turn? It turned because they started getting beat off the bounce in the second half, and that led to... I mean, Auburn wasn't going to shoot that poorly from three the whole game, more than likely. Auburn got to the foul line a lot. I think they were all missed down. And then, really, the game... Not to get hot takeish, but the game seemed like it was heading in a bad direction for Ole Miss as soon as Tyree fouled out because they looked like. I mean, last night really just kind of underscored what this team's just overarching issue is. And Tyree goes off the floor with five fifteen left, and they don't make another field goal for the entirety of regulation, limp into overtime because they made three or four free throws at sixty six sixty six, but they led sixty three fifty four with five minutes left when he exited the game. And didn't uh, didn't score and didn't make another field goal. Not only did they not make another field goal, they weren't getting good shots. Uh, Pearl started pressing them. Crowley got sped up. I think Schuler, whether he admitted it or not, probably got a little bit worn down. He hell, he played forty eight minutes last night, and it just had them all out of sorts. They weren't getting good shots. It felt like an accomplishment that they were getting it over half court and it just kind of taking the first open jumper that happened afterward. And then uh, once they got into overtime, Auburn really kind of let them back in it in that first overtime. Really, couple terrible sequences. In some ways, this was kind of a rock fight. And then the second overtime, they had their best two possessions of the game. They had they had Buffin on Wiley in some ISO situations, and he kind of drove him and turned over one shoulder and then the other shoulder and got back to back baskets at the rim and led eighty two seventy eight. And then Auburn scored on the next three trips. Ole Miss didn't score for the last two minutes. And late game execution was bad. They had a chance to win at, at the end of each overtime. And one, they slung it to the near sideline and actually gave Auburn another chance. And the other time, Blake Henson settled for a contested jumper instead of trying to get something towards the rim. Yeah. a little. Were you, were you surprised at all that Blake Henson pulled that shot for for the attempted game winner, given that Ole Miss had had some success? I mean, you're down I mean, one. All you got to do is drive in and, I mean, I say Am all I you surprised gotta... Blake Henson pulled it or am I Man, has got the greenest light out there. No, I understand that. I, I understand that he loves to shoot it from deep and, and does that. But in that situation, down one, doesn't it make sense to try and at least draw the contact, especially in a game when, as Borky pointed out, you had 49 fouls? Yeah. 48 or whatever? And that's what Kermit Davis wanted. And I don't know if this played into it, but he did have a timeout left. But he's down one. Auburn's going to zone. He just wants him to drive downhill. With the way the game was being officiated, as Borky uh, slightly hit on earlier. Slightly. <laughs> You try to get to the line, you try to at least make them call a foul, or you finish through contact, something like that, and that's not what they did. I mean, it, it showed pretty poor court awareness. He kind of paused after he got the rebound. I mean, the reason Ole Miss got it to overtime in a second overtime, they did, to their as bad as they were offensively for a while, they did get some pretty gutsy stops in the half court and just weren't able to score. I mean, I talked to a number of different fans today who thought that Brian Tyree did not look engaged last night and you know you listen to some of what Kermit Davis said on the radio in the post game and maybe there was a hint at that from him as well 
You had a different take, though, when we talked about that earlier. He did the say show. he took him out twice in the second half for energy purposes, but he was kind of, I imagine he was a little frustrated with how the first half went. Auburn has held the opponent's leading score 20 times, and they played 20 games this year. Every game they played, they've held the leading score under the average. And then he did get beat up in the second half, too. He had the ankle thing where he limped off and came back in, and then he got like, killed by, I can't remember who, on a, on going up for a rebound. You know, maybe he was frustrated, but I mean, the guys at 26 points a game or whatever you said in SEC play, I mean, he was nearly in tears last week after they lost to LSU or whoever it was. I think the idea that a senior with a month and a half less than his season just mailed it in at home against a ranked team with their having a chance to kind of get back into it is kind of silly, but you know, maybe he was frustrated. Maybe he wasn't as, I, I'll, I'll, given the way he has played and carried the team, I'll give him a pass for having an off game. Maybe that a lot led him to be uh, less enthused, but I mean, he he didn't look like he was enjoying sitting on the bench for the last five minutes. I can promise you that. Yeah, I mean, if you were watching on television or if you were in the arena and you saw him or you watched him on the bench, uh, he was working that towel over. Uh, you know, looked nervous and looked like he really wanted to be on the floor. A couple of text messages on the C Spire text line from Ed and Ponatok. Uh, he says, I think Kermit has and is doing a fine job. The team is getting better. There's no doubt about it. I mean, think about this. They played seven SEC games. They've blown double-digit leads in four of them. They led by double-digit leads, double digits in four of the seven SEC games they played, and they're one and six. Now, there are times, like L- Tennessee last week was an absolute abomination. So if Kermit, Kermit said they don't look like a one and six team, if he had said that last week, I'd have been like, come on, get out of here, dude. But I do think they're getting better. You're getting second game in a row. You got some offensive help from other guys aside from Tyree. I mean, Chewer had 26 last night. You had 16 from Henson. He missed his last six shots. You had more. I mean, you had pretty decent game from C. They are getting better. They're just not doing the things necessary to close out games in the SEC because they are a couple bounces, couple better possessions away from being four and three. Certainly three and four. Three and four, whatever. I'm just throwing. No, no, I, no. There. I think four and three is probably the the right statement. If you're getting blown out in every game and they're one and six, then sure you're a one and six team. But I mean, it's almost remarkable leading by double digits in four of the seven games you've played and being one and six. The rest of Ed's text, he says, I hear frustration in Kermit's voice after losses. Do you think the frustration stems from the fact that he missed his evaluation of his players, or that these players have failed to develop as anticipated? Isn't that the same thing? Yeah, maybe so. Uh, no, I think it's just more so he knows they're close. That kind of stuff, I think, is more so, while he probably knows that to some degree with certain guys, I think that more stuff is that in the off season where you try to regroup and assess. But for right now, they are close. They're just not getting it done. John in the Gulf Coast, similar sentiment. He says, regarding the Ole Miss-Auburn game last night, Coach keeps talking about his lack of talent after every loss. Most are his highly touted class last night with an almost 20-point lead in the second half lack of coaching should be addressed. That's John on the Gulf Coast. I was in the press conference last night. He didn't say anything about lack of talent. It's just that may be a, have been post-game radio. or I, I, I don't know. I didn't hear that either. Guys not making points. They didn't execute very well down the stretch. Kermit has never... When, when they execute poorly down the stretch, I'm thinking of the Dom play last year at Arkansas last night. Like He's going to let you know who messed up and where. But I, I don't know. I mean... Are there some misevaluations talent wise? Yes, probably on this team, but I, I, I don't I don't sense him blaming that every single game. Because again, it's not like they're just getting housed every game. There's been two occasions where they've gotten blown out and one of them was without Tyree and C and the other one at Tennessee. I I got nothing for you on that. It was just brutal. 
Kind of a weird night last night in the SEC. Hey, Dad, how much did Mississippi State trail by? 16. They were down 16, came back and won on the road. Auburn, down 19, comes back and wins on the road. Missouri at home, down 20 to Georgia last night, and Missouri comes back and wins. You had three teams come back from deficits of 16 points or more, and win. Take out Vanderbilt. Who's the worst team in the SEC, not record-wise? Because record-wise is Ole Miss, isn't it, I would, without looking at it? Just who do you think is the worst team in the SEC? I'd probably say Missouri or Georgia, right? I'd go in reverse order. Okay. I would go Vanderbilt is the worst, and then probably Missouri, and then probably... I take Vanderbilt out of the equation. No, I understand. I'd say, obviously, Vanderbilt's clearly the worst, and then I'd say Missouri, and... I mean... Point being, to me, the bit middle to the bottom of the league outside of Vandy is not much of a gap. Yeah. I mean, Texas A&M has gotten to 4-3. and three. Texas A&M is not a great basketball team, but, man, do they play hard under... Buzz Williams. Mountain Dog says, so is Ole Miss still a basketball school? Just checking. You see the spaceship they played in until four years ago? When has that ever been the case? Mountain Dog? (laughs) Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. (laughs) Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Step outside the SEC. There was something that happened last night that I don't even know how you. I don't know what you say about this or what you do with this, but Mike Shashevsky, for all the success that he's had and all of the media training that he's had and all of the public interaction that he's had as the head coach of Duke, as the head coach of USA Basketball. I thought he made a fool of himself last night. He's the only one that gets away with this nonsense. The quotes after the game were even worse than him yelling at his students for a chant that they do quite frequently, and it's actually endearing to the person they're chanting to. I'm sorry, but here's why I'm right. I, again, I've said this before, but I, for one, am just stunned that a 72-year-old guy with jet black hair is not what he seems on the surface. <laughs> Jeff Capel who is a former standout at Duke and is currently the coach of Pittsburgh. And prior to being the coach at Pittsburgh, was an assistant at Duke. And prior to being an assistant at Duke, was the head coach at Oklahoma. And prior to that, I think, was also an assistant at Duke. I'd have to go back and look at his timeline, but I think I got that right. Played at Duke. a partridge in a pear tree. Go ahead. I think that was kind of his main thing, right? Because he's one of our guys. Yeah. One of my guys, one of our guys. So, Jeff Capel... Doesn't like the officiating, shocking, and gets a technical foul. And the Duke student section began to chant, Jeff Capel, sit with us, which apparently is one of the cheers that they do from time to time at Cameron. And Mike Krzyzewski is incensed and comes out onto the floor and starts yelling at the Cameron crazies, shut up, shut up, shut up. And then again, before halftime, goes over them and is yelling at the students, who, by the way, look shocked and genuinely afraid, with Mike Krzyzewski yelling at them, shut up, he's one of us. 
this was peak crybaby moment moment for Mike Shashevsky. Here's a quote. How much? I thought it was something personal. I apologize to the students for that. I don't apologize for the timing. You shouldn't say that. Middle of the first half of an ACC game, this isn't some cutesy little thing where we can just bounce the ball around and giggle. We're in a fight. Once I heard his name, you know, I'm not going to go over there and say, will you please tell me what you're doing? So it's a mistake on my part, but I'd rather make the mistake in protection of my guy and I apologize, but let's think of a different cheer like defense and let's go or come on, Duke, leave the other guy alone. And as a, a reminder, they pass out these these cheer sheets in the student section there. And on the cheer sheet, talking about Capel, it said, nothing bad here, love the guy. And that chant, again, is apparently an endearing like, hey, you're one of ours, come sit with us and cheer with us because we love you. Would, Remind would, me on something with that defense, Chan. I'd like to see that get going around the country. <laughs> I would pay a little bit of money for somebody to have just looked him right in the face and, and given him the okay boomer, which I'm not a huge fan of. But that that if ever okay, it was boomer. warranted, that was the moment. I agree with you on that front. I really do. I saw some people dumping on the students for looking scared, but like, was it scared or was it just being like? Maybe this guy's lost it. Maybe he's finally cracked. Like, what is he doing? Because if I had an older fellow come up that close to me while I'm sitting in the stands at a basketball game that he's participating in and start yelling like that and, like, don't you his think chest, I'd probably be like, oh, man, somebody get security or wheelchair or something. Don't you think if one of the students had popped off to Mike Krzyzewski while he was doing that, he would have had them ejected? Absolutely yes. without and a not doubt. Not only ejected, but they would never be allowed back in. Then Banned he might from the arena. Did. Remember at the NCAA tournament game, I think Oregon beat him, and he said something. Dylan Brooks was talking trash, Grizzlies player now, uh, talking trash or whatever. And you can barely see, do y'all remember this? You can barely see, very clearly, I can't talk today, CK grab him and just say, hey, don't do that. You're too good of a player. Like, I'm not, an, you don't have to be an expert lip reader. That's exactly what he said. And then he got asked about it in the post game, and he said, I didn't say that. <laughs> really? Video evidence him. says otherwise. Duke doesn't pay kids either, by the way. Jeff Cable had nothing to do with those one and duns getting there. No, absolutely not. But Rippy and I were talking about this earlier. Basketball, pretty sick. What's the reaction if Calipari does that? It's worse. It's worse. If anyone else. Although I feel like Mike Krzyzewski's kind of gotten beat up for this a little bit today. He has. Yeah. He Deservingly so. But that said, same thing. If, if you know... Are they going to tell him not to? Do they want him just to chant defense and let's go Duke when North Carolina's up in there? I think not. Oh wait, but the the players and the fans should take away Coach K's Duke gear and make him earn the right to wear it again. He loves to pull that trick every now and again. The the beauty is that Jeff Capel, after the fact, tweets that he loved it. He's not mad at all. I mean, why why is Mike Shashevsky going all thin skin and I've got to go protect another? Millionaire basketball coach. Because you don't want to piss off the guy that's got dirt on your program? I love the article from USA Today where it says, Jeff Capel is one of a handful of guys that might be in line to replace Mike Krzyzewski. Mm, I don't know about that. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. John Harris, our buddy from the Houston Texans, back in Houston after a week in Mobile for the Senior Bowl. Uh, Senior Bowl. 
A lot of evaluations happening. John, appreciate your time. Let's talk about some guys from the state of Mississippi uh, who were there. A couple of Ole Miss players on the defensive line who I think got pretty good reviews, Benito Jones and Josiah Coatney. So let's start with those two guys. And Benito Jones, who's kind of played some different spots on the defensive line, what did you make of his performance last weekend in Mobile? Well, Benito's pretty interesting to me because he, when you look at him, you, you immediately think, well, that's a, that guy's a 3-4 nose tackle just body-wise. You know, he's 6-1. I think his measurements were like 6-1, 3-29, I think it was. And again, you know, he's a nose tackle. I, I've always sort of liked Benito Jones. The one thing that was interesting is when they did the weigh-ins, when they put his information up on the up on the big screen, I'm like, wow, he's got long arms for a guy that's not that tall. So he becomes kind of intriguing because there are some different things that you can do with him. And I thought that guy struggled trying trying to move him at times when he had his pad level down. He's he's so darn strong and thick that it's hard to move him off the spot. But there are times when he starts to fatigue, he stands up. And then I saw a couple times where guys did, you know, move him off the ball a little bit, but that was very infrequently. Cody to me was, he's kind of intriguing uh, along the same lines that size wise, you're like, man, this dude's 325, but he moves pretty well uh, for a guy that size. You know, he's, he's kind of the type you want in the NFL on the interior because he can hold up against the run, but he's got enough athleticism that he's going to be able to at least push the pocket a little bit. And, you know, that's the thing that I think people miss. You know, we've got a great defensive tackle here in Houston, DJ Reader. And DJ's, uh, you know, going to be an unrestricted free agent. And there's been a lot of talk about, well, the Texans should resign him. And I, and I love DJ and I want the Texans to resign him. But it really wasn't until this past year where DJ started really kind of rushing the passer a little bit better. And that's the whole key. If you can rush the quarterback at all, then you've got an opportunity. And I think those two guys have got the athleticism to do it. I mean, Benito's got the length to be able to present some issues for guys inside. So I was pretty impressed with both of them. I think the reviews that you've heard have probably been on point uh, for both of them. I don't know if I would say they're Javon Kinlaw, but I don't know who is, to be honest. After watching down in Mobile and studying defensive tackles and interior this year, I don't know that anybody is on par with Javon Kinlaw. The guy that I saw in Mobile just dominate for two days. I don't think anybody's on par with that guy. He can play any position up and down the line of scrimmage, and he can do it at 6'6", 315 pounds. In my fear, and I've seen a lot of mock drafts that have Jacksonville taking him at number seven. And I'm like, oh, great. We get to see this guy for the next two years, or, or two times uh, a year for the next how many every year. So uh, Tim Law is in a whole different class, I think, from the interior. But I thought Josiah and I thought Benito did a really nice job in all the different one-on-one drills in particular that they did. I thought they more than held their own. You think they're day two or day three guys when the draft rolls around? I think they're day three guys. I think, it, which, you know, look, and when you hear day three, like, oh, he's a seventh round. No, 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 you don't. You know, day three encompasses fourth through seventh round. So you're talking about guys that are just outside the, the top 100. So I do think they're day three guys, and I think, Depending on the, you know, I mentioned Jacksonville. I think Cody would be a nice fit in Jacksonville. They've got to have guys with some physical grit inside. I mean, teams, I mean, like us, we ran the football right down Jacksonville's throat. Like, okay, Ngakwe, you want to rush. And Calais, you know, you're a little bit older and you want to rush. 
uh, but we're going to make you play the run. And they didn't want to do it. And Taven Bryan, the guy they drafted from Florida a couple of years ago, like he, he just wants to fly up field. He's never learned technique, or so it, it doesn't seem he has. Um, so I would think that a place like Jacksonville might not be a bad spot uh, for Cody or for Benito Jones. They need some interior help, but I think they'll probably be day three guys somewhere between the fourth and the seventh round. So day three, but that's not, you know, look, that's, that's not a, I don't think it's a bad place to be. I think I'd rather be a day three guy if there's an opportunity for me to play and I'm in a good situation as opposed to being a day two guy, but I'm behind a veteran or the coaching staff is changing or things are not good in that locker room. So it's all about at this point, you get to day three, it's about your fit and where you end up. I've got Tyree Phillips' Twitter um, profile pulled up, and he's got a pinned tweet. 340 pounds, offensive lineman from Mississippi State, and the it's a little video tweet where he's throwing an alley-oop to himself, goes up, catches it in the air, and goes with a two-handed dunk. There's some athleticism yeah. there at 340 pounds. How does he project? Well, you know, it's interesting. When he walked across the stage at, uh, at the weigh-ins, I just remember my first thought was, dang, holy smokes, that's a big guy. And then they said... <laughs> You know, his weight, and it was like 345 or something like that. And I thought, okay, maybe that's a little, maybe that's a little heavy. Maybe he shouldn't be that heavy. And then I watched him during practice. And I mentioned Javon Kinlaw a little while ago. And Kinlaw was, was dominant. But there were times where Phillips, who actually moved into guard, when I, the two days I watched, he was playing guard. And I think that's probably where he should project is that guard. But I thought he did a pretty good job holding his own against Kinlaw. Um, I'm curious to see how the interior sort of shakes out. You know, you got Damian Lewis, you know, from LSU. Uh, you got John Simpson from out of Clemson. I don't know, just off the top of my head, if there are any guards where I look at it and go, yeah, these guys are definitive round one guys. But I do think there are some good players in that mix, a couple of them I just mentioned. Um, but I think Phillips is absolutely going to get some – uh, get some eyeballs on him for what he did playing guard, uh, and especially when he went against Javon Kinlaw. I was just watching all the one-on-one reps uh, in my office yesterday from the stuff we got from the Senior Bowl, and there were times where I, he's the only one that's holding up to Kinlaw at all. Uh, Lloyd Cushenberry had one rep, and Phillips is kind of hold his own. Now, he's 345 pounds, but you can see that he, he can move a little bit for a guy that size. You know, he's not just a you know big just blob of, of humanity. He's yeah. a guy that can move a little bit. So I'm curious to, to study him a little bit more, even though I'll see some of the tackle stuff. I think going back and watching the senior bowl stuff and seeing that guard, I think that's probably where he projects to the NFL. John, give me a, a, a current NFL player that is a comp for Mississippi State's Brian Cole. Hmm. That's a good one. Oh boy, let me think. Um, well, I, you know, obviously, I think of our guys right away because that's that's sure. the team that I, I see that I see the most. Um, you know, and I, and I think of you know just the the range that he has, kind of his his build. I think he's probably a little bit smaller version of Justin Reed. Um, now, Justin does. I mean, Justin coming out of college did did a little bit of everything. I mean, he played corner, he played nickel, he played safety. Uh, you know, both both safeties play in the box. He did a lot of different things. Um, you know, so Justin's kind of the first one that comes to, comes to mind. Um, just trying to think of safeties off the top of my head that would that would make some sense. 
Um, that, but Justin's probably the one that comes to mind just from a from a playmaking standpoint. I think he's a. I think Cole's a very interesting guy, just because of all that he can do. And the thing about safeties nowadays is you don't need a safety to play like Steve Atwater used to play. I don't know. Maybe I dated myself. I'm trying to think of maybe it earlier. <laughs> Steve Atwater just looked. Steve Atwater looked to hit anything that moved, and you don't really need that if you're playing safety now in the NFL and you can't cover. Then you can forget about playing in the NFL. I mean, you can absolutely forget about it. Oh well, you know, you can play in zone. Uh, uh, yeah, you, you're going to play zone all all day against quarterbacks like Mahomes and Watson and Tom Brady and all these quarterbacks. No way, you can't. You can't. You've got to be able to, as a safety, be able to come down and cover tight ends, uh, cover backs out of the backfield, cover slot receivers. You got to be able to do any and all of that. And oh, by the way, in the NFL, sometimes the tight ends actually run like wide receivers. So you got to cover those guys too. But I do think that Cole's going to have an opportunity to show that he can do that. And I thought the senior bowl, and I didn't focus too much uh, on the safeties, I'll be honest, but just watching him throughout his career, he was, whenever I watched him, he was a guy that found the football. And, and you know, sometimes all this, well, you know, his hips and, you know, his elite size and all this. And, and I talk about a lot of draft stuff, but sometimes it comes down to the guy finds the ball. And when a guy finds the football, and then makes a play once he gets there. Sometimes those guys are invaluable. I mean, that's you know, Tyron Matthews five nine, a buck eighty if he's lucky. If he's lucky. I mean, when I see Tyron, I tower over him. But Tyron Matthew has made a living in the NFL because he knows where the ball is going. He's yeah. smart enough to go find it, and then he's good. He's good enough to go make a play on it. And I don't know that Brian's in that class because he's a little different from Tyron. But I do think because of the ways the ways the multiple ways that he can make plays in the ball, I think he's going to be valued to some team for sure. And has done a lot of things in college. Started out at Michigan, transferred to East Mississippi Community College, and then last two years at Mississippi State has probably played himself into a nice draft pick in the uh, the NFL. John, really good insight. Uh, I know it's always a, a fun week in Mobile, and uh, look forward to maybe talking with you more as we get closer to the draft and look and see what's on the horizon. Thank you, my friend. You got it, brother. Take care, Richard. Thanks for having me. That's John Harris from HoustonTexans.com, sideline reporter for the Texans, spent all of last week in Mobile, the Senior Bowl. He joined us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey, thanks for being with us on this Wednesday afternoon, middle of the week. Hey, Dad, you, you heard what um, what John Harris had to say about the, the Mississippi State guys, uh, about Brian Cole. A um, little bit of a circuitous route to Mississippi State for him. Again, from Michigan, played his freshman season at Michigan and played in, I think, three games, was a wide receiver, played some special teams there, transfers away from Michigan to East Mississippi Community College, does a nice job there and gets the opportunity at Mississippi State and really was a big part of that defense. So let's start with him. What did you make of kind of John's assessment of uh, Brian Cole and kind of how he matches up with some guys currently in the NFL? Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty spot on. I mean, Cole is a guy who can do a little bit of everything. I think he can play safety. I think he's got the coverage skills to play nickel or you know maybe some emergency corner. I also think he what's going to help him 
uh, is going to he can contribute on special teams. He's got good speed. He was a pretty decent kick returner. So he's got some tools there. You know, you never really saw him become like a dominant player or anything like that, or even an All SEC caliber guy. But he can. I think he's definitely a guy who can contribute at the next level. Tyree Phillips was uh, was comparable, although not from Michigan. He is from the state of Mississippi. Played at Grenada uh, in high school, and then goes the junior college route and plays a couple of seasons at East Mississippi. And then in his junior year, he redshirts and then spends two years at Mississippi State. And, you know, so many times when we talk about guys that are drafted, you know, you're thinking, okay, these are three-year guys and juniors that are going early. Or, you know, okay, this was a guy that decided to come back for his senior year. But when you look at a player who's gone high school to junior college to redshirt to earning some time, you know, he plays in all 13 games as a redshirt junior, but he's not a starter. And then as a senior, he starts in all 13 games, gets the senior bowl invite. It's hard not to pull for a guy like that because their road is not necessarily the road as uh, of the five star who went and kind of punched a ticket for three years in college and, you know, was immediately a first or second round pick. Yeah, and in my, you know, I didn't talk to him a whole ton this past season, but when he did, you know, a really good, personable uh, guy. And, you know, I thought he was a, a solid player for Mississippi State this past year. You know, I know the analytics really liked him. I kept seeing a, a lot of him over at Pro Football Focus. We're talking about how he, you know, he was one of the, the better left tackles in the, uh, the SEC. And like, uh, John mentioned, when you can, when you can, carry your weight and, and still have agility and still have some athleticism with that at 340 pounds that's something that they're going to look for I, I do I do agree that he'll probably be a guy who slides inside but I think he'll be a very a very effective interior lineman I think both he and you know Daryl Williams who didn't play in this game played in the in the shrine game will both yeah. uh, be uh, NFL guys when it's all said and done yeah and you, you mentioned pro football focus as redshirt junior he played in 345 snaps and had a, a pass blocking grade of 81.3 and then this year as a uh, as a, a fifth year senior a redshirt senior had an overall grade of, from pro football focus of 80.1 which was the highest among offensive linemen at Mississippi State and the second highest offensive grade on the entire team so yeah. did the things that he was asked to do and, uh, you know, we talked about the athletic ability. So some interesting stuff there. What, what about Rippey with kind of the evaluation of, of the Ole Miss guys, with Coatney and with Benito Jones? I agree. I think they're both day three guys. I think ah, just drew a blank. But Jones is a little more versatile than probably he lets on, but, again, agreed with it. I guess we'll kind of see how it lands. Long way from the draft. Yeah. Although it gets here in a hurry. I mean, Two months, give or take, away. As uh, it's hard to believe, we're about to turn the page to February, in uh, in just a couple of days. You go through February, you go through March, middle of April. You've got the uh, NFL draft, and then it's you know mini camps and rookie camps uh, in no time at all. Um, so certainly going to see some names that are called uh, during the NFL draft. Although this year's a little bit different. I mean, you know, hey, Dad, a year ago we're talking about three first rounders from Mississippi State. We've talked about. Uh, high draft picks from Ole Miss in recent years. This is not necessarily the year where you're going to hear a bunch of first-rounders from the state of Mississippi uh, with their names called and getting to jump on that pontoon boat and go across the lake toward the fountains at the Bellagio. <laughs> no, no, I don't I don't think. I would think between the two teams I would be surprised if there's a first-rounder uh, on, on our side or even maybe even a second-rounder. This will definitely be a, a day where MSU and Ole Miss – Fans are, are waiting until that you know late in the second day, early in the third day to hear some of their guys' uh, 
names called. Yeah. You, you look at the uh, projections that are out there, and basically everybody is continuing to project Joe Burrow as the number one overall pick to uh, Cincinnati. Uh, most people expect the Miami Dolphins at number five to take Tua Tonga-Vailoa. Justin Herbert, it appears, really improved his draft stock and could be a first-round pick at quarterback out of uh, out of Oregon. Um, the the quarterback class this year, Jacob Eason seems to be kind of rising uh, on on some boards. This is not the the year where you just go wow when you you look at the quarterbacks. But part of that, I think, is because of the injury to Tua Tagovailoa. I mean, obviously, you got a couple of top ten picks in those two guys, Burrow and Tagovailoa. But it's not the same as some years. Although teams tend to stretch and Borky, they kind of reach at that position because everybody is forever in search of a franchise quarterback. Yeah, and there's going to be a bunch of reaching this year as well. And it's worth noting that, I mean, if you look at some of these successful NFL quarterbacks, they don't exactly come in the first round. I think it's since, what is it, since 1990, the only number one overall picks that have won a Super Bowl have been the Manning brothers. I mean, look at where Tom Brady, who's about to be done. He was a sixth-round pick. Look at Aaron Rodgers. He fell. I mean, he famously fell in the draft. He got a phone call on a flip phone, uh, which, believe it or not, wasn't that long ago, and he had to sit behind uh, Brett Favre at the beginning of his career. Drew Brees was kicked out, basically, of San Diego, and the Saints picked him up because he had nowhere else to go, and he had a bum shoulder. If you look across the NFL in modern history – uh, First-round picks, number one overall picks, haven't done very well, so maybe Burrow uh, will change that trend. I'm just really surprised, outside of Burrow and Tua, that and Herbert performed well in the Senior Bowl, but you have a sample size of him not showing up in big games, that a team that needs a quarterback is going to go that route, is going to draft Jake Fromm, who's, who's fine, or Jacob Eason, who's fine when you've got free agent quarterbacks out there, not even talking about Phillip Rivers, who's old, uh, but looking for a new home, multiple free agent quarterbacks out there that have performed better and you know can be good NFL quarterbacks, instead wasting your first-round pick on a flyer of a kid that hasn't shown you enough to this point. I'm really surprised by it. You've got multiple guys out there that you could either sign in free agency or make a deal for that teams are going to pass on to draft Jacob Eason. Doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. We'll have plenty more draft conversation between now and then. Um, but it's a little less interesting with not having a bunch of potential first-rounders from Ole Miss or Mississippi State or even Southern Miss uh, being in the mix this year. Rewinding a few minutes to uh, the Coach K conversation. That's how we ended the 3 o'clock hour. Uh, we got a text message on the Ceasefire text line. 601-879-4395 is the number. Ceasefire, customer inspired. Guy was taking up for his former player. Get off K's back. So I responded, K was childish and ridiculous. The former player was the coach of the opponent. His choice not the choice of the Duke students. Shashevsky deserves every bit of criticism he receives for this, and then some, to which our texter friend said, you media guys always side against coaches no matter the issue. I don't really think that's true. You're entitled to that, that opinion, certainly. I don't think that's true at all. Uh, and we, 
And the former player, one, is an adult man. And two, your student section does that to coaches and players, kids from other schools all the time. So, look, I know it's a former player, but, I mean, he's a grown man, and it's not like they were using foul language or anything like that. It just It's a very bizarre scene, almost like he came unhinged. There are so many other times, I imagine, over the years where your students crossed the line and you didn't do this. Yeah. And crossed the line against 19-year-old kids and not an adult man making a few million bucks a year. Yeah. Well, and I guess the bottom line in all of this was Kay looks at Jeff Capel as one of his guys, and that's what he said to the students afterward. He just didn't handle that well. And there was absolutely no need whatsoever. And for him to say, oh, yeah, I apologize for coming at the students, but I don't apologize for the timing. I didn't know what they were saying. Well, you didn't know what they were saying. What are you doing yelling at them? Oh, I heard Capel's name. We're How's not going to yell at our former guys. Better? Or maybe ask an assistant, hey, what are they saying? Oh, coach, they're saying sit with us. It's something they do to former players. It means they like them. Okay. Yeah. Not a ton of awareness there. Craig says on the Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter feed, what's sad is Joe Burrow will be a number one bust, too, simply because the Bungles will ruin him. (laughs) Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along on this Wednesday, middle of the week. A lot of basketball conversation early. Good conversation with... John Harris on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. We are working to connect with Aaron Fitt from D1 Baseball. Uh, It will be our first full-on baseball interview conversation of the year. If uh, this works out, we're able to connect with him in uh, just a couple of minutes. Spent some time the last couple of days talking about uh, college baseball season as it is uh, is nearly here. I was fascinated with the lead to the SEC preview that Aaron Fitt authored and uh, was on D1Baseball.com just a few days ago. Here's how it goes. With three ranked teams in the top five, seven in the top 11, and nine in the top 25, the SEC race figures to be a heavyweight slugfest as usual in 2020. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line and check in with Aaron Fitt from D1 Baseball. So the SEC is going to be good this year? <laughs> yeah, I think that's a pretty safe bet. It's uh, it's good every year, but this year looks particularly outstanding. Is this a year where there is a chance to see one team separate from everybody else, or is the league, Aaron, so good and so deep that it may be hard to have a team win 20 or 21 or 22 or Something crazy like 23 games in league play. Yeah, I feel like this one's going to be one of those years where you got a bunch of teams that are all bunched together at the top. Um, you know, we're not going to see somebody do what, what Vanderbilt did um, that one year where they went 25 and 5 or whatever, or even, yeah. even last year where they went 23 and 7 uh, and, and won the league by a couple of games. I just don't think that's going to happen. And, you know, we like Vanderbilt's team a lot again this year because of the pitching that they've got coming back, but it's not as 
complete of a club as they had last year. You know, there's uh, much less experience in that lineup. So they're vulnerable. Um, I really like Florida and Georgia. Those those are both top five teams for us in the preseason, just like Vanderbilt is. And, and of course, um, you know, all but one of the teams in the West are, are ranked in our top 25. So these teams are just going to beat each other up, I think, all year long. Aaron, why did you guys pick Florida over Georgia for the the second spot in the East? And and I guess maybe the backdrop for that question would be, you know, remember talking to to Sully at one point last season, and he, he was frustrated but realistic. I mean, obviously they've had so much success at Florida, but they got hammered by the draft on both ends two years ago. Why do you see them taking such a big step forward this season after going thirteen and seventeen in the league last year? Yeah, that was definitely a transition year for Florida last year. And um, to be honest with you, I don't know that I really expected um, heading into the fall that Florida would be back in this top five conversation. But in my, in my fall travels, you know, I think I saw 11 out of the, the 14 SEC teams uh, in the fall, and I saw Florida twice. And um, I'll tell you, they were the best team I saw all fall. You know, and that includes Louisville, who we ranked number one. I, I thought Florida, both those looks, you could just tell a lot of those guys that they got coming back took big steps forward. And it was a young team last year. You know, they had a lot of freshmen they, they were leaning on that got valuable experience. And, you know, like the Judge Fabians and the Kendrick Callows and Corey Axon. Fabian is, is going to be a, a superstar. I think he's ready to bust out in a big way. And they got a lot of guys that kind of fit that mold. In addition to some nice older pieces who've been around, like like Austin Langworthy, for instance, uh, or Brady Smith, and and then you throw in the best recruiting class in the country. You know, I think the top four guys in that Florida class, uh, Nathan Hickey, uh, who Sully is saying this guy's like a young Kyle Schwarber, you know, with just the feel the feel for hitting and the and the power at the same age is very comparable. And like Schwarber, he's kind of that uh, stocky body catcher, first base kind of profile. Um, and then you got Josh Rivera, freshman shortstop, who reminds me a lot of Jonathan India, you know, at the same age, because I think he's probably more physical and maybe even more advanced than India was as a freshman. Um, you know, and then Hunter Barco, you throw in there, the freshman lefty. There's just a ton of talent on this roster. The key for them is to have a couple of those returning arms take steps forward, the Tommy Mason, the Jack Leftwiches, but boy, they, they look great in the fall, and I think it's all kind of coming together for those guys. I don't think I'm surprised to see Arkansas pick to win the West, especially with what they've got coming back in terms of position players. But there is no Isaiah Campbell at the top of that rotation. It felt like you knew exactly what you were going to get every time he stepped onto the mound. You convinced that Arkansas is going to be deep enough on the mound with its rotation to hold on and and win? The, I mean, obviously you guys picked them to win the West, so you think they're going to. But how close was that in, in picking the West winner? Oh, really, it's it's uh, wide open for me, you know. And, in fact, I'll tell you that uh, when Kendall Rogers and I were, were debating our rankings, um, you know, we all have our own preferences. And for me, Arkansas was actually behind Mississippi State uh, in my pecking order. Um, and Auburn was kind of right there as kind of the swing team. I mean, they all have different things that they're good at. I think Arkansas is going to be an elite offensive club, um, Solid in the um, in the rotation, not nearly as dominant. You don't have a Isaiah Campbell, as you mentioned. They don't really have that number one blue chip guy like so many teams around the SEC have. You know, there's no Kumar Rocker or JT Ginn or you know, Tommy Majinski potentially could be that guy. Arkansas doesn't have that, um, but they've got solid strike throwers, which will be enough, I think, uh, with the quality of their of their lineup coming back. Uh, but they're the really offensive team. Auburn is a team that has a lot of pitching and, and kind of experienced position guys that aren't necessarily as flashy, but uh, I think are going to execute offensively and take care of the ball on defense. 
Um, and then Mississippi State, I think, is maybe the more balanced club but has more questions on the mound after JT Ginn because there's just a lot less experience there. I think there's a lot of talent for Mississippi State on the mound, but guys that have to prove themselves. But, boy, I love the, the Mississippi State lineup. I think they're going to be an elite club offensively and defensively. Kind of like three years ago, Ole Miss is back to, to being really young again. It, it appears as if they've got a talented roster, but you, you've got a bunch of guys that you're replacing from that highly thought-of recruiting class from, from a few seasons ago. Florida got into the tournament at 13-17 and 17 last year, and that kind of seems to be like the line of demarcation. Sometimes that's enough. Maybe sometimes you need to get to 14. Given the schedule that Ole Miss is going to play this year, opening the season with Louisville, they get no breaks in the crossover opponents from the East. They're going to play, you know, all the good teams from the East this year. What's the number of SEC wins that Ole Miss could potentially feel comfortable with and still get in? Is it does it have to be thirteen? I still tend to think of thirteen as the magic number, just because if you look back over the last decade. Um, I can't think of a team that's gotten in with a 12 and 18 SEC record. Um, you know, I, I know it has happened in the past. I'm, I'm pretty sure, but I can't think of one in the last decade. Uh, it just seems like the committee has kind of settled on that. 13 and 17 is the magic number. And, and even at that point, you know, you're very much on the bubble. I mean, Florida was one of the last teams in last year. Um, a lot of times, if you're 13 and 17, you need to still help yourself with at least a win in Hoover. So, yeah. um, and you're right. This Ole Miss schedule is, is not going to be easy. And we know this team is young. They're going to have growing pains. They lost so many veterans from that team a year ago. But I do really like the talent. And, and I'm excited to see what this team can do as some of these, these freshmen mature. It's another very good freshman class. And of course, you got two really good sophomores anchoring the rotation with, with Doug McKenzie and Gunnar Hoagland. It's, it's a really good one-two punch. Uh, and guys that were good last year, well, well, McKenzie in particular was good last year, but I think both those guys have taken a big step forward. So uh, they're going to lead on those guys, I think, a lot while those young pieces get their, their feet wet in the lineup. I think Nikhazy, I'm not looking at it, but I think 9-3 and three last year and really was you know, solid every time he stepped on the mound. When you pair him up, though, against Aces on Friday night, game or week in, week out, Kumar Rocker, uh, Emerson Hancock, uh, Majinski at South Carolina, um, you know, whoever, uh, JT Ginn at Mississippi State, uh, Asa Lacey at Texas A&M, is he good enough to win those games, in your mind, on a, on a fairly regular basis? You know, I definitely think it's fair to say he's not in, in the same caliber as those guys from a pure talent standpoint, and he's not going to outstuff those guys. And he doesn't have to outstuff those guys. He just has to outpitch those guys. And, and I think he's capable of doing that um, because he really competes and he can locate, you know, with all of his different pitches. That breaking ball's a weapon. There's some funk to him. He's, you know, up tempo. He, he, he acts you, um, locates the fastball, change-up works for him. I mean, it's, uh, you know, this is a guy that's already been through the grind of the SEC and proven that he can compete against anybody. Um, I, I think the track record is pretty good, and I think he'll slide into that Friday spot and do just fine. I mean, they don't, they don't need him to necessarily go out and, and you know, throw a complete game shutout to, to beat Kumar Rocker. They just need him to yeah. hold... Vanderbilt at bay and, and hand the baton after six innings and you know and, and they'll have a chance. That's all we're really asking for him to do, and I think he can do that. Aaron, about thirty seconds or so left. JT again, if he stays healthy, what do you think his ceiling is for Mississippi State? 
I think he'd be a first team All American and, and a top ten pick. You know, he's already wow. been a, a first round pick coming out of high school, and there's just not a lot of guys that have that kind of turbo sink, that bowling ball thing going at ninety one to ninety five, and then you pair it with a really good slider. Uh, and an advanced feel for pitching at a young age. I mean, he's a pretty special package, and if, if he can stay healthy, like you said, uh, you know, the, the sky's the limit for that guy. I hope you don't block our number because you know we're going to want to talk a lot throughout the course of the season. Hard to believe that uh, two weeks from Friday we've got real college baseball. Uh, certainly a fun time of the year, and Aaron, we always appreciate your insight. My pleasure, anytime. That's Aaron Fitt from D1 Baseball, D1Baseball.com. Those guys do a well, it's not just that they do a good job. They do the best job covering college baseball, Aaron and Kendall Rogers and uh, that entire crew. And uh, certainly if you are not a subscriber to D1Baseball.com, it is absolutely worth the money if you like college baseball. Aaron Fitt joined us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Talk Mississippi with you on this Wednesday afternoon. Thanks for joining us. You can text the show on the ceasefire text line. 601-879-4395 is the number for you to be a part of the conversation. It's time for this moment in sports history presented by Acoustic Wave in Ridgeland. You can get wave therapy to treat many orthopedic conditions, including heel spurs, tennis elbow, golfer's elbow, shoulder tendonitis, and more. And the best part? No incisions, no scars, and no downtime. You can go back to work or back to play on the very same day. For more information, give Acoustic Wave a call. You can uh, buzz them at 855-563-6100 or check out their website, AcousticWaveMS.com. So, Borky, this day in sports history, is this one that you like a lot? Oh, it was technically yesterday. Well, fair enough. I mean, sometimes I have to make the whole Wednesday continentum work um, in an effort to keep it local. In 1971, Archie Manning was drafted number two overall by the New Orleans Saints. I don't know if that was the greatest day of his life or the worst day of his life. (laughs) Probably a combination of... It was the greatest day at the time. And uh, then he played with the team. Then it became the worst day. You know, it's hindsight doesn't look pretty on that day for him. No, but it set up a life and a career in which he became a New Orleans icon. Archie Manning is as loved a New Orleans Saint as ever there has been. You know, certainly Drew Brees is in that conversation now. Michael Thomas is, uh, you know, maybe making his way into the conversation. Deuce McAllister and so many other names over the last decade and a half when the Saints have been really, really good. But the Saints were not really, really good when Archie Manning played. He played in the bag-over-your-head era at times and just got beaten to a pulp. If he had been with the team that was more competitive, who knows what his NFL career might have looked like. Archie was a two-time Pro Bowler, inducted into both the Saints' Ring of Honor and Hall of Fame. In 1969, he was the SEC Player of the Year and was a first-team All-American a member of the College Football Hall of Fame in the NFL, 23,911 passing yards, 125 touchdowns, more interceptions, though, than touchdowns, 173 picks in his career. You know, 
for all of for all of the love that Archie Manning gets from Saints fans, I think Archie even to this day, and I don't think there's much debate here, would identify himself as a college football player more so than a professional football player. If you go back to the, um, I guess it was Book of Manning, the uh, it was an SEC story, one of the first SEC story documentary documentaries. He famously quoted it there as saying, you know, I, I didn't grow up dreaming of being an NFL quarterback. I grew up dreaming of being the quarterback of the Ole Miss Rebels. I mean, that's a direct quote from Archie. And his work with the College Football Hall of Fame, the National Football Foundation, you know, people refer to the Manning's first family of football, but I don't know that there is a bigger ambassador for college football than Archie Manning. And that has continued to be evident through the Manning Passing Academy. Hey, Dad, we've gotten some really fun stories through the years about Archie's relationship with Mississippi State quarterbacks. He had a great fondness for uh, Dak Prescott, who was, you know, multiple years as a counselor at the Manning Passing Academy. He talked with uh, with us about Nick Fitzgerald uh, and his admiration for uh, for him. And I guess it was just this past year where he told us about Tommy Stevens being invited when he was still at Penn State. Uh, mm-hmm. And then when Tommy Stevens called and told him that he was uh, going to Mississippi State, he's like, uh, am I still invited? <laughs> the answer was, of course you're still invited, um, I guess. So, <laughs> um, so some neat stories there. And, you know, yes, Archie Manning is kind of the ultimate Ole Miss icon, but it goes so far beyond that. And clearly had a son that played at Tennessee and has great relationships with college quarterbacks from all over the country. And college quarterbacks from all over the country know who Archie Manning is for a guy that's not played college football since 1970 or 1969. Yeah, I think think that camp probably plays a huge role in that. And obviously the success of his sons plays a a huge role in that because he's been visible. Uh, through that, you know, you you you, you watch the games of his sons, and and dad was always there. This day in sport hits history, brought to you by Acoustic Wave. Again, their website acousticwavems.com. No incisions, no scars, no downtime. Go back to work the very same day. You can give them a call at eight five 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 six three sixty one hundred. Wave therapy to treat lots of bumps and bruises and orthopedic. Conditions, acoustic wave in Ridgeland. That's this moment in sports history. 1971, yesterday, January 28th, Archie Manning taken number two overall in the NFL draft by the New Orleans Saints. College football fix is coming your way next after a quick timeout on Sports Talk Mississippi. Have a Texas change the way Ceasefire text line is open to you 601-879-4395. This winter skip the waiting room and beat cold and flu season faster with Ceasefire Health. Just download the app and schedule a visit to connect with a trusted UMMC clinician right from your phone. Learn more at ceasefirehealth.com. Dot com. Good stuff happening there at C Spire. That's why we tell you all the time they are customer 
inspired. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey with you on this Wednesday afternoon. Got hoops coming up tonight in the SEC, although both Mississippi State and Ole Miss played last night. Kentucky is in action. They will tip off about half an hour from right now, hosting Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt 8-11 and 11 overall, winless in the SEC, and they went winless in the SEC last year as well. The Commodores uh, on the verge of the dubious distinction of holding the longest losing streak in SEC basketball history. Move over, Sewanee. You're about to be knocked out of the way by Vanderbilt. Kentucky a 20-and-a-half point favorite tonight at Rupp Arena. You've also got Alabama at LSU. That one's on ESPN2 at 6 o'clock. That could be an interesting game. LSU a five-point favorite. And Arkansas is a a six-and-a-half point favorite tonight at home against South Carolina. So the uh, Razorbacks hosting the Gamecocks. Arkansas 15-and-4 on the year. South Carolina uh, 11-and-8. And again, six and a half, the uh, the spread in that game. Arkansas is the favorite. Time right now for the college football fix. College football fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. The F-150 specifically, but the F-Series more generally, best-selling trucks in America for 43 straight years. Best-in-class payload. Test drive one at your local Mississippi Ford dealer today. This is not specifically college football, but it certainly ties into college football players from the state of Mississippi. The XFL getting closer. So you got the Super Bowl this weekend, and then next weekend will be the debut of the XFL. Jordan Ta'amu has been named the starter of the St. Louis Battlehawks. St. Louis picked up Nick Fitzgerald as a quarterback on their roster a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but Tamu, who was uh, drafted by St. Louis early on and was one of the first players that uh, I guess technically signed with them, is going to be the starter in Game 1 for the St. Louis team. Got a bunch of Mississippi guys, though, that are playing on some of these different teams. Uh, with the Dallas Renegades, right, quick, quick, quick poll here. I'm going to give you some team names. You tell me which one you like the best. Dallas Renegades, Houston Roughnecks, St. Louis Battlehawks, Tampa Bay Vipers, Seattle Dragons. Any of those do anything for you? I like the Roughnecks. That's that's an unusual one. I I, I really do, too. Borky? A Battlehawk guy. I mean... Vipers and Dragons, come on. This is not like a low-budget 1988 football movie. Uh, do better than that. I'll go Dragons. That could go a number of different ways in the Pacific Northwest. Mm. If things don't work out for Mike Leach, although we think they're going to, maybe he could be the coach of the Dragons. <laughs> I just want to like launch into a rant about Lord of the Rings or something. No, I wasn't going to go into a rant. He just seems, you know, given his varying interest, I would think that dragons are creatures that um, might interest Mike Leach. I have a friend that works for the Dallas team. Looks pretty sweet. What, the logo? I, I just meant, like, the gig in general. But like, What's he doing? 
video department, like kind of like season type stuff seems like. But the you. logo looks pretty sweet as well. I guess that's whole thing looks interesting to me. Dallas Renegades have got Jonathan Calvin, the former Mississippi State linebacker, and also former Southern Miss tight end Julian Allen on their roster. For the Houston Roughnecks, mix of Ole Miss guys and Mississippi State guys. Got some guys that can play. Trey Elston as a safety. DeMarcus Gates as a linebacker. Beniquez Brown as a linebacker. And Nick James on the defensive line. So four either Mississippi State or Ole Miss players and hey Dad all on the defensive side of the ball, that's four guys that can play. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you got some 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 actual you know, some actual talent there to work with. Is it yeah. Houston, is that which team is Bob Stoops team? Is it Dallas or Houston? Dallas. Dallas. Okay. Yep. Um Mississippi flavor on St. Louis, Nick Fitzgerald who we mentioned a second ago, and Jordan Thomas, so a couple of offensive guys there. Taylor Russolino, who is a former Millsaps kicker, is on the roster for the Battle Hawks. And then Channing Ward, it's defensive tackle. I saw Channing a couple of times during uh, football season this fall, and uh, know he was excited about the opportunity to, uh, to play. Uh, the Tampa Bay Vipers, Durante Bolden on the offensive line as a guard, former Ole Miss player, and former Jackson State wide receiver Daniel Williams. And then for Seattle, Dylan Day, former Mississippi State offensive lineman, a center uh, on the uh, Seattle Dragons roster. What's your level of interest for the XFL? For me, I mean, I was I was interested in the, uh, I've already forgotten the name of it. <laughs> the yeah, it was so good, huh? The whatever. AAF? Yeah, I, I was watching that. I'll, I'll watch football if it's on. Rippy, are you going to engage in the XFL? I'll probably watch it. You're. I, uh, I watch some. You got a trip to Dallas coming up. You're. Uh, I watch some of the. Uh, oh, what the insurance company Alliance. Last the Alliance year, of American okay. Football. Yeah. AAF. Um. It was okay. Yeah. Ten days until kickoff of the XFL. Opening week games, Seattle is in D.C. The L.A. team is in Houston. Tampa Bay is in New York. And St. Louis is in Dallas. You've got a Saturday afternoon game on ABC, a Saturday evening game, 4 o'clock Central, 5 Eastern on Fox, a Sunday afternoon game on Fox, and then a Sunday night game, Seattle and Dallas, or St. Louis and Dallas, rather, on ESPN. I haven't, I don't know who all of the announcers are. I know on the ABC ESPN side of things, um, Steve Levy is with one of the crews as the play by play guy. And then Tom Hart and Joey Galloway will be in the booth with some combination of either Cole Kubelik or Pat McAfee. As a uh, a sideline analyst for those games as well, they're not bringing any WWE guys like they did the last time around. No, I don't think they're doing that. Okay, I don't think so. Good. Joel Klatt's been advertising some of this, hasn't he? Maybe so. I'm just not sure who the uh, Fox NFL or XFL announcers are. Let me see if I can figure that out. Fox XFL announcers. 
What is it you like to uh, What is it you like to say there? Uh, hey, Dad, if there only we, was a we, we had a device, we could yeah. tell you the answers to these things. I'm not sure who Fox has. Maybe that's because I typed in NFL instead of XFL. Could be an issue. So you got Joel Clad in the mix. Um, Steve Levy is going to be paired up with Dan Orlovsky. Looks like Kirk Menifee from Fox and Joel Klatt are going to be a couple of the uh, announcers. And I don't remember who else. Anyway, I guess that's not terribly important. So Kirk Menifee. And Fox has not named a sideline reporter, and as of the printing of this story at the New York Post, did not decide on who their second set of announcers are going to be. That was from October, though, so uh, we'll see. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Borky, are you going to jump on board with the XFL? Uh, I haven't decided yet. Probably so. (laughs) I I, kind of like the AAF, uh, but there's just something about football and at the end of February, I, maybe it's bad to say in this business, although I'm only halfway in, in it anyway. I need a break from football when it's over. I could not do 365 days a year of being locked into football. When the Super Bowl ends, I'm kind of ready for the offseason. For the end of the NBA and for baseball to start it, maybe I'm... The, in the majority here, though, because these leagues just never work, that when the Super Bowl ends, people need a break from football. I'm one of those guys. So the full slate of guys and gals from ESPN and ABC, Steve Levy, Greg McElroy, Tom Luganville, Diana Rossini, Tom Hart, Joey Galloway, Pat McAfee, Cole Kubelik, and Dan Orlovsky in some form or fashion as well. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. Sports Talk Mississippi, good to be with you Wednesday afternoon. Hey, Borky, uh, let's let Rippy handle the answer to this question from the C Spire text line. You think think you're ready for this one, Rippy? What is it? I'm not painting you into a corner, I promise. Um, Will you be able to bet on the new XFL League? I would imagine so. It's a I mean, hard yes on that. <laughs> that is a resounding yes. They would prefer it, actually. The, it was possible with the AAF, wasn't it? Sure. Yeah, you could bet on that. I still can't yeah. believe that happened. I mean, do you guys remember how that league folded? It wasn't, I mean, they had their issues, no doubt, but it folded because a millionaire hockey owner wanted app technology. So he bought controlling stake in this league and folded it and took his ball and went home. I mean, hundreds of people out of a job because this guy wanted technology to the app that they had. It's like a real-life Bobby Axelrod. Don't you talk poorly about Bobby Axelrod. I'm not. We're about to get a new season. I'm how, pumped. How soon? It's The last three have been February, March, somewhere in there. So I guess I don't know an exact date, but I'm just guessing. Billions season five. Ooh, I don't know when it is. It's coming soon. I'll let you dig it out. March. 
Well, season four premiered in March. Do you got? Hey, Dad, do you and Borky watch Billions on Showtime? I do not. Do not. No, sir. Heard it's good. Real good. Real good. And it's not. It's not one of those where, or at least to this point, it hasn't been. It gets to the end of the season, and you're like, "Yeah, okay, probably time to wrap it up." That's one you guys should go by if if you've got like Showtime Go or On the Go or whatever it is called. That would absolutely be worth one uh, be a, a series worth going back and kind of binge watching. Forky, you're up in the middle of the night most nights anyway, right? Looking for something to watch? Getting better, man. We uh, we celebrated five and a half straight hours of sleep last night. It was remarkable. Did you wake up to celebrate that? or? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's so funny. I, I, my wife woke up with him this morning. Uh, I slept in a little bit. I was up at like 645. Um, but she got up with him. And usually we kind of drag in the mornings because we either didn't sleep all night or we're up at 5 o'clock. But this morning, I get up, I get out of bed, and I go find her in the living room, and she's got this big smile on her face, just happy as can be, because she got five and a half hours straight of sleep last night. Wow, they pushed it back on us. May 3rd. Oh, man. Gonna sit and wait for a while on that. No bueno. Porky, your kid will be sleeping through the night by then. Yeah, you say that. I've been told, and oh, I literally have no idea. I just pulled that out of my rear. No, no but clue. it's could uh, happen for years, for all I know. When they start sleeping through the night, soon. I mean, he's three, just over three months. So, I mean, five and a half is basically through the night. I don't know how much you get to sleep at night, but I mean, I'm I'm no more than six, six and a half anyway. Try to get eight. Not usually happen. It's because you lay in the bed till eleven in the morning. I'd say you get eight hours, isn't it? No, me and Borky most days record by nine, most of the time. Ish, eight thirty. Ish depends. Borky's got this uh, fancy corporate meeting, so we're going at six thirty, seven thirty on Mondays. There was, nice. I think it was two Mondays ago. We recorded after our, our Monday meeting, so about ten o'clock, and I had the show planned in its entirety because I was up at four with the kid. Do you guys realize that the Super Bowl's on Sunday? Yeah, it's crazy, right? Rippy and I talked about this earlier. It just has kind of flown under the radar, part of which is the, the tragic passing of Kobe Bryant to start the week where uh, that took all the attention away from the Super Bowl. But, I mean, you've got two compelling teams and compelling stories. Kyle Shanahan, a, a complete turnaround uh, from one year to the next in San Francisco, and then... Finally, this guy in Patrick Mahomes that I think right now, and I think you guys would agree, it's not necessarily some kind of outlandish take, that he is by far the most talented current quarterback in the NFL. I mean, I don't think it's close. I think it's him and then maybe Russell Wilson at two, as far as just pure talent and ability. And winning this first Super Bowl for him, I think will start a career that will be remembered forever. I think he's that potentially that good and in a great situation to have that kind of career and it's kind of, for a Super Bowl, flying under the radar. The biggest story out of Miami right now is that there was an earthquake two days ago. Yeah, like down around Cuba? Is that right? Yeah, I mean, and missing. I gave Rippy a, a, a geology lesson that it was a 7.7 earthquake, but it's, it didn't, it, it's huge, but it didn't cause a tsunami or really any significant damage because the plates 
slid on top of each other versus some kind of like downward collision, which didn't cause the tsunami or or significant damage. It was the way the plate slid that spared, I mean, lives. Big tectonics guy, but you're I welcome. Think the I think you've had I mean, we've had a team that's been in three straight Super Bowls and they're no longer there and they're the most talked about franchise in football. You're just going to have a natural lull. Plus, it's in Miami. Plus, you had the Kobe Bryant news. Yeah, I think the Kobe Bryant news is what really put a damper on things. It's almost like there's a lull in the week between the conference championship games and the Super Bowl. You get some talk about it, but then when you have a story that absolutely dominates not just the United States but the entire globe, like you had on Sunday afternoon, that kind of puts everything on pause. And you've even had some, uh, well, I mean, like uh, Planners Peanuts has either canceled their commercial or they're changing the commercial that they were going to run um, because the the premise was Mr. Peanut is dead. And they thought that that would be insensitive, given the recent news with the plane crash and those lives that were lost. And I saw Darren Rovell yesterday uh, encouraging uh, companies to stop their Super Bowl rollouts that nobody was ready for that yet. The irony for that was Action Network had just rolled out a big prop bet story on their website that he had half an hour before promoted. I think there would be more buzz if you had Brady for going going for number seven at age forty two. But what you're saying is most like is probably a, a six sixty seventy percent of it, and the other thirty that's probably lying. Like why it's lying under the weeds is that that? Yeah, yeah I agree with that. All right, so so what are the other teams that would be generating? teams or players that would be generating more buzz and i think it'll grow over the next couple of days as you know espn does all of their shows from you know from south beach over the the next i guess that started today and will extend through the the weekend if the dallas cowboys are in the super bowl everybody's talking about it well if how do Tom we know Brady, it's been so long well, i can't remember if we had well, the matchup that i wanted the brady breeze matchup that that would be huge buzz. Lamar Jackson. Yeah, I talked about it a lot this year. I said the 49ers are a team with no stars. There's just there's no captivating player on that roster, and probably the most captivating player is a tight end, which isn't exactly the position that grabs you. Although he is or a defensive absolutely end, special. Yeah, and it's I think it's just the sheer even on top of that, it's just the sheer absence of one team that's been in four of the last five and three consecutive. I mean. Obama was president the last time they Pats weren't in a Super Bowl, was it not? Fifteen? Panthers, Broncos? And that seemed like ages ago? I don't remember, Bernie. Do we need to recalibrate? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I couldn't help it. I couldn't help it. So anyway, the the, the hype has been redistributed elsewhere. Well, Played. Should friend. we recalibrate how we view? I mean, what's a compelling team? Because I mean, I guess the 49ers could go the way of the Rams, but they're not going to be down for long. I mean, what they have built in San Francisco is a sustainable, high-level winning model. And all, although Jimmy Garoppolo gets talked about more because he's good-looking and not because he can play. I mean, a high-level quarterback with a roster that's filled with talent. We're and rightfully so, talking about how this Super Bowl doesn't really grab you. But on one hand, you've got who I, and I'm not alone, think is the most talented quarterback in the league. And the other, 
what has been quickly built into a, a football machine with a complete roster, an innovative, innovative head coach, and a, a really good quarterback. And that's not good enough for people. So it's not a game problem. It's not a Super Bowl problem or a matchup. It's a us problem for not viewing this as compelling. If the lead up to this game, but is, it is compelling. It's just oh, it's absolutely compelling. Like I guess the lack of storylines entering. And my guess is that it will change over the next couple of days. But given the lack of buzz leading up to the start of the game, will that affect the viewership on? Sunday night, or will it be just like always? Not one bit. It's become a holiday in this country. Yeah. You hosting a Super Bowl party, Borky? I will be in an airport. Oh, there you go. So yeah, hey, I guess with all of my all my friends. Will you be in the Charlotte uh, airport at that point? Going through Atlanta. Uh, I was gonna say there's the Shake Shack in Charlotte now. Ooh, Whew. game changer. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. Sports Talk Mississippi. A lot of compliments today for you, Borky, on the uh, bump music. People are digging those. And humble you are. Drew Brees says he's going to take a month to decide whether or not to retire. And, Borky, you tell me that this is not window dressing, that it may very well be the real thing. Yeah, there's uh, a few local media people that are not preparing you for doomsday, but basically saying that this is not typical, this isn't contract negotiation, this is a real thing that he's going to sit down and consider this year. Alvin Kamara... um, is in Miami for the Super Bowl. He was asked about it, said he's not going to interfere, but Drew is actually going to make a decision on it. Teddy Bridgewater was interviewed today, and it certainly sounded like, based on what uh, he said in his interview, that he's waiting this decision. So if a couple of guys... Like, Bridgewater is going to be a sought-after free agent, and when um, he's not going to make a decision until after Breeze does, it kind of tells you that this is real. And, I mean, as you told me on the phone yesterday... I mean, he's 40-year-old, he's got four kids, won a Super Bowl, first ballot Hall of Famer, has basically every meaningful passing record that exists. Um, He's a competitive guy and wants to win, but hanging it up now would make sense. Well, my question, and and hey, Dad, you may have a, a thought on this as well, is... Why keep going at this point? I get you love the game, but you're relatively healthy. You have earned in the NFL $244 million. Drew Brees is involved in a number of business ventures outside the NFL already. I mean, finances are just not an issue. And, and and I think once you get to that level, it's not about money anymore. I mean, maybe it is to a certain degree in that you know you can always want more and spend more and feel like you got to pile more up. If you got $100 million in the bank, and it may be way, way more than that, and you're a major investor in walk-ons and AdvoCare and whatever, there are a lot of income streams for Drew Brees. You have a title. You are a local hero. You are 
absolutely established in that New Orleans community. I, I mean, it, I, I don't know if Drew Brees is a big, big drinker, but if he is, he'll never have to buy a drink for the rest of his life in New Orleans. He is beloved. And again, as Borky said a second ago, he holds all the records. He's not going to continue to hold all of those records if Tom Brady keeps playing or you know something else. But what's the what's the incentive at this point, at 41 years old, with 18 years in the league, some major injuries that he's come back for and is basically healthy at this point, all the money in the world, healthy kids. What what's the What's the incentive at this point to keep playing? I think he. I think it, it boils down to one thing: the Saints are still good enough to be in the Super Bowl conversation next year. I think he'd like to get one more. I mean, that that, that to me, if if the Saints were terrible, this wouldn't be much of a discussion. But that team that comes back next year is still going to be in the mix, and I think he knows that, and he'd like to get one more. So, do you think it's legacy based, or you think it's just? competitive nature or I think it's a little bit of, of all of that I mean it might just be a little good old-fashioned selfishness I'd like to win one more Super Bowl yeah I mean shoe in first ballot Hall of Famer yeah like there, there there's absolutely nothing to accomplish other than I'd kind of like to have one more ring and you can believe in your team and believe in your franchise but kind of when you look around at the the landscape of the NFL, I mean, I only I know it only takes getting in the playoffs and then you know you catch the right breaks and all of a sudden you're playing for a title. I, I get that. Or you have one off day and you get eliminated in the wild card game against a far inferior team. True. That's true. I just it just doesn't feel like there's anything left to accomplish for Drew Brees. You got a different opinion? Opinion? You can uh, weigh in on the C Spire text line 601-879-4395 like this. He'll be an NFL TV commentator. Uh, Michael in Ocean Springs thinks that Kobe's death is affecting the deliberation for Drew Brees. That could very well be the case. Richard and Wiggins says he will never have as many Super Bowls as Easy E. I mean, he's got to get one more. Uh. <laughs> and I mean, the team's built for it still. Uh, by and large, I mean, they have to uh, consider what they're going to do at backup. Taysom Hill's a restricted free agent. I, I still do not see mortgaging your future on him at the quarterback position. I think his role is perfect. But uh, if he wants to go be a quarterback somewhere, I don't think New Orleans is going to be the place that offers that to him. So maybe he goes somewhere else. Otherwise... Uh, roster's pretty intact, and uh, I mean they will have a first-round pick with an elite available receiver. And if they make that evaluation well and pick an instant impact guy, it's a team that can win one next year. That's yeah. all they're missing is somebody not named Michael Thomas to be a threat I mean, catching the football at the wide receiver position. Otherwise, they're pretty solid. Text line, I can barely remember Breeze at Purdue. It's time. JoJo and Bentonia says maybe it's just the love of the game. I mean, you could be onto something there. They should do what they did last year and give him a few red shirt games, keep him healthy for the end of the year. <laughs> I mean, Richard, you were onto that, man. You it, it, just sit him. 
Sit him and keep that shoulder healthy. You've got a good situation at quarterback and a great team. Maybe you should win a few games and you know, not play him on purpose. Here's one that says the last three brutal playoff losses will bring him back. You can't leave on that note. Here's one. Breeze goes back to San Diego and wins it all next year. That would be tough without a team. Sid says, what if he just wants to play? The Kobe incident could affect this. Speaking of San Diego, which, yeah, your point's a good one. He could try. I don't like his chances. In San Diego? Is he just going to play all by himself at a Qualcomm Stadium or in the parking lot? Probably have a bigger crowd. Um, One more friendly to him, anyway. Jay Glazer, uh, the NFL and Fox, uh, reporting on Colin Cowherd's show, The Herd, that the Los Angeles Chargers have moved on from quarterback Phillip Rivers. Nothing official, but the report indicates that the Chargers will have a different starting quarterback next year. He moved to Florida. Yeah. Rivers will be 38 in December. As previously announced, he is moving his family out of California and closer to home in Florida. I'm sure it has nothing to do with the fact that Florida has no state income tax. I did see a funny tweet that said Philip Rivers' family is so big, people are going to start campaigning at his house. <laughs> Buccaneers among the teams that could be interested in his services, according to the report. Rivers has played in 228 games for the franchise between 04 and 2019. 65% completion percentage, 59,271 yards. And about 2-1 to one in touchdown-to-interception ratio for his career. 397 touchdowns, 198 interceptions. Chargers went 123-101 and 101 with Rivers as their starting quarterback. 224 consecutive starts for Rivers since the start of the 2006 season. If you're Tampa... I know he's kind of turnover-prone as well, but you want to talk about complete rosters. That's a really good one. And if you have a quarterback that maybe doesn't turn it over twice a game, you could be a playoff team, if not better. That division's gettable next year. Or a playoff spot's gettable, at least. What was it, 50-30? and Is that where Jameis finished? No, he was 30-30. I'm sorry, 30-30. and Yeah, so, I mean, and the thing is, he was still a 5,000-yard guy. I mean, he's talented. He's just an idiot. If you, that's just the truth. But story of my life. If you're Tampa, I mean, why not? You've got the best set of receivers in football, and nobody knows it. Do you believe in Philip Rivers more than Jameis Winston? Rivers threw 23 touchdowns this year with 20 picks. Yes, absolutely. Okay. I mean, it's not perfect by any means, but your your options are limited. You either give Jameis an extension or tag him. Or maybe take a shot on this veteran and try to win. That makes more sense than hanging on to Jameis to me. Maybe on to something there.
Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.